This parasha contains the story of a tragedy, as you all remember. It begins with the words, and talks about the eighth day. Now we all know that the eighth day, the specific eighth day referred to, is the eighth day of uh, building the Mishkan. But the eighth day, like the eighth day of creation, is in some ways the first day. Because the first seven days were the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu took the Mishkan apart and put it together every day. The eighth day was the day of Aaron HaKohen. When the power was transferred from Moshe Rabbeinu to Aaron HaKohen. And Aaron HaKohen began the Avoda. He began serving, serving a Kodesh Baruch Hu in the Mishkan. Right? So that's the general picture. And the eighth day, the service of uh, Aaron HaKohen in the Mishkan ended, or the highlight of that service was when a fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice that he had brought. Right? There are several other points that could be made, but generally I think that that is sufficient to put us in the, in the, in the place, right? To put us in the proper place. That's by Yom HaShvini. And then a tragedy uh, occurs. A tragedy that is reported, that is reported here in the, um, in the parasha. The tragedy begins in Pasuk Aleph. The sons of Aaron, we don't, as far as we know, as far as we know, the sons of Aaron didn't have a particular job to do that day. Right? Everything was done by Aaron HaKohen. Everything was done by Aaron HaKohen. But the Dadava Aviu had no job, but they took it upon themselves. They made a decision. And their decision was... Vayikhu ish machtato. A machta is a. I mean, in English, they, there's a word for it in English which I don't understand. So, uh, it's like someplace you know, if you had coals and you were going to transfer them to a fire, so you'd make like a little shovel to do it with. That's that's the machta that has a. And then and then vayiknu bahen ish, and you put a fire into the machta, which means that you put coals, hot coals into it. Ve'esimu aleha ketoret. Ketoret is the, um, are the ingredients of the karban that makes a nice smell. That smells in the avoda of the Beit HaMikdash. Why there is such a karban, we don't know, but the Torah is quite explicit in telling us that this finds particular favor with God. That Sareach Nichoach. There's something special about this sacrifice. Vayakrivu Lifnei Hashem, Eshzara, and they, Nadava Aviyu, brought before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Eshzara. Now the word Zara, the word Zar, is a word of great significance in the Torah, as we'll see maybe a little bit later on. But Zar means, Zar means you've gone across the limit. You've crossed a border. You can only go up to here. If you go beyond that, the Torah calls you Zar, unfamiliar, someone who is not uh, a welcome. That's called Zar. And we'll see some other uses of the word Zar. But obviously, obviously, Eish Zara is a bad thing. We don't know exactly yet what the bad of it was, but only a bad move could be called in the Pasuk Zar, So we know that they did something that they were not specifically commanded to do, and what they did was bring in Eish Zara. Right, that's what the pasuk says. Let's just look at the at the next the next two pesukim before we look at Rashi. Certainly, the poetry or the lack of poetry, the symmetry or the lack of symmetry, is uh, is very much uh, aware because an ash, a fire, just came down from heaven, 
and consumed the sacrifice. And that was good. In fact, B'nai Yisrael sang and danced when that fire came down from heaven. And now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has, you know, endless options. If, in fact, Nadav you have to be killed, they could have kind of just, uh, you know, had heart attacks on the spot. I mean, it could have been something neat. Or they could have disappeared into a hole in the ground, as others will in the future disappear. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose to kill them with a fire, which is, again, up opposed to the Eish Zarah that they brought, and which is opposed further to the fire that came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice that Aaron HaKohen had. So that, even though we don't really understand what's going on, it's easy enough to claim that Nadav Avi are in the thick of something or other. They're like doing something of great consequence. And in heaven, they can't let him get away with it. The third pasuk is, Now this pasuk is a mystery. I mean, it's really, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu says to someone, okay, let's follow Chazal, and say that Moshe Rabbeinu said it to Aaron HaKohen. He's going here, Aaron HaKohen sitting shiver, his sons were killed, two sons at the same time. And he goes to him, Oh, that's what God meant. That's what God meant. Now this word, the Hebrew, just Hebrew, is kind of out of place. My relatives, those close to me. Bikrovi, singular. Bikrovai, plural. Bikrovai, akadesh. I will be sanctified. Now, what could that possibly mean? If you just forget that you once learned Rashi, but you forget it, but just to read the words, impossible to understand. And as a result, I will find honor before Panim of Kol Ha'am. And then we have the famous ending of the Pasuk, Vayidom Aaron. And uh, we don't know. <laughs> this is because Aaron was stunned, and too stunned to respond, or because Aaron accepted some exalted idea, and therefore did not allow his own uh, unhappiness to come out. But anyway, that's what the Torah says. Vayidom Aaron. So these, this is a story. This is a story which comes up again in the Torah a little bit uh, in the Pasha of Achremot. This is the story. Now, how does Rashi retell the story? I mean, Rashi wants to explain things to us. But in this case, Rashi wants to make sense out of the story. So look at Rashi. Rashi says, Rabbi Lozer Omer, Lo neitu b'nei Aharon el al yidei shehoru halacha b'fnei Moshe Rabban. So I have to get into the head of Rabbi Eliezer. And Rabbi Eliezer said, you know why they were killed? Uh, so Rabbi Eliezer says, yeah, I can't really figure it out from the Pasuk. If we say that Anadav Aviyu made a mistake, if we say that they really wanted to do something good, but they shouldn't have done it, if we say that, that they were just sort of ignorant for the moment, then why were they killed? I mean, what was so terrible? Well, everybody makes a mistake. This is the first day of the working of the Beit HaMikdash. Maybe the, the laws of the sacrifice were not entirely known. I'm just making, I'm talking Rabbi Eliezer talk. So why were they, why were they, they uh, killed? So Rabbi Eliezer comes up with this idea. Shehoru halacha b'fnei Moshe Rabban. Which means that Moshe Rabbeinu told them not to do it. And they said, we'll do it anyway. And Bashamayim, Bashamayim, they said, that is something they should have known better about. They Nadav Aviyu. So in heaven, in heaven, the decision was rendered that Nadav Aviyu should be destroyed. But not because they brought an Eish Zarah. They brought an Eish Zarah. We could be forgiving about that. But not, not the fact that they 
took a stand against the explicit Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Where is the explicit Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu? All right. I mean, you know, if you look hard, you might find it. Rabbi Ishmael disagrees. Rabbi Ishmael says, They were drunk when they went into the Beit HaMikdash. So if you're drunk, you can never say that you wanted to have an exalted experience. You can never say that you made a mistake about bringing the Korban because you wanted to come closer to God. Because drunkenness is mindlessness. And mindlessness as a spiritual experience is unforgivable. Right? Well, let's, let's forget about Purim. Right? For the moment. Oh, well, let's forget about Purim to next Purim. But, but generally speaking, I think we can all understand that mindlessness and spirituality don't really go together. I mean, it's true that spirituality sometimes overwhelms the mind. I can understand that. But to go and do something without any mental capacity, that's unforgivable. That's unforgivable. Of course, Rabbi Yishmael's position is very attractive to Litvaks. Right? Of course, the only problem is that this halacha didn't exist yet. When is this halacha written in the Torah? In the next parak. Afterwards, that it would seem that it's written as a result of this. And that's what Rabbi, Rabbi Shmuel said. That the Dabavi who should have known on their own that they shouldn't get drunk. But later on, to make sure the Torah writes for all the Kohanim in the future, that no one is allowed to go into the Beit HaMikdash, into the Mishkan, drunk. That's Rabbi Yishmael. Teidah, shachar mitatan hizir anotarim, shelo yichnesu shtuyei yain lamikdash. You should know that the Torah itself says you're not allowed to get drunk when you go into the Beit HaMikdash, lanotarim, for the other sons, the other sons of Aaron and all the future Kohanim. Mashal ha-melech shayalo ben bayit, kidita vayikarabah, so this is discussed at length in the... In the Midrash. That, uh, you know, sometimes uh, those close to you do something wrong and then you promulgate a rule that no one should do it in the future. So according to Rashi, according to Rashi, what happened, what happened was that, that there was no Ezzara issue. Because about the Ezzara, both Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Ishmael seem to agree that as far as the HRI is concerned, okay, it was a mistake. They made a mistake. They, they miscalculated. They, they, were, they were in a frenzy of enthusiasm, excitement, and wanted to somehow come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. For that, they could be forgiven. But according to Rabbi Eliezer, they couldn't be forgiven for not consulting with Moshe Rabbeinu and not accepting his determination. And according to Rabbi Yishmael, they could not be forgiven for going into it drunkenly. That's what, that's what Rashi says. The second pasuk, which is Moshe Rabbeinu talking to Aaron HaKohen and saying, I'm sorry, uh, the, the third, that's the, the second pasuk Rashi doesn't comment on. The third pasuk is Moshe Rabbeinu speaking to Aaron HaKohen and he says, Who asher deber Hashem? Who asher deber Hashem? So Rashi says, Hey, Chan deber. He says, what, What's Rashi talking about? Who asher deber Hashem is a, is a reference. Someplace God said this. Where did God say this? The Posik is also at the bottom, you see? Vocalized. I will meet up with you in the Ohel Moed. God will meet with Bnei Yisrael in the Ohel Moed as the scripture of the Mishkan that was built. V'nikdash b'chvodi. V'nikdash b'chvodi. Okay, I would have translated it as, and they will somehow all be sanctified with the kavod, which is a name for the appearance of God. God appears, and they all v'nikdash. But Rashi says, no, he says, that pasuk v'nikdash, shalom v'nikdash v'nikdash b'chvodi, al tikre b'chvodi, al tikre b'chvodi, ela b'mechubadi. So you know that, that Chazal had this idea 
that since Hebrew is unvocalized, uh, you know what, what I mean? There are no nikudot, there are no vowel points in the Torah. That the reason for that is that words can be read simultaneously in different ways. Now, it's true that there's a way that we read the Torah in the Beit HaKneset. And we read, the, everybody reads the Torah in the Beit HaKneset the same way. But, when you look at the unvocalized word, sometimes you, it's like, so it jumps out at you another possibility for reading. And that's called Al Tikre Elo. Right? You remember at the end of Davening, we always say Al Tikre Banayich Elo. Banayich. It's the word, the same word, vocalized differently. So Chazal thought you could do that. And here Rashi says, Al Tikre. Now that's a little bit of a stretch. I have to admit. I mean, it's not so. How you get from Kvodi to Mechubadi, I don't know. But that's what the Medrash says. And that's what Rashi says. Because Rashi, Rashi was addicted to Chazal. Right? In a manner of speaking. Right? The Chazal said it. It could be. But that, there's some place where God said it. That's here. Amarlo Moshe Aaron. Now this is what Moshe Rabbeinu said to Aaron. Listen to this. Aaron Achi. Yodeya hayiti shiit kadesh habayit b'miyodav shel makom. I knew that part of the sanctification of the Mishkan would be um, would be b'miyodav shel makom. Those close to God. Those very close to God. What do you mean? So what, what does that mean? Shiit kadesh habayit, like you know that that when you started off the Beit HaMikdash, you gave a sacrifice. It was an animal sacrifice. But Moshe Rabbeinu says, I knew that when the Beit HaMikdash would be, would be built, the Bishkan would be built, there would have to be a live sacrifice as well. And that live sacrifice would be Bimi Yudaan, those close to HaKadosh Baruch those who know HaKadosh Baruch that's the Yudaav okay he says Bayiti Savur Obi Obcha and I was certain that either you Aaron Akoin or me Moshe Rabbeinu would be the ones to be consumed by this fire Achshav Ro'adi Shehem Gidolim Mimeni Umimcha so here's a new Rashi. Rashi in Pasuk Aleph says, Rashi in Pasuk Aleph says, you know why they were killed? They deserve to be killed. You know why they were deserve to be killed? Because they were stupid. Either they denied a psak of Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to be pretty stupid to do that, or alternatively, they went to do the Apodan, the Mishkan, drunk, and you have to be pretty stupid to do that. Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu went to Aaron Cohen and he said, stupid? This is the Makkeh Bepatish on Kedushat HaMishkan. This is the finishing swipe. This is the breaking the champagne bottle of the bow of the Mishkan. This is it. It had to happen. And I thought, Moshe Rabbeinu said, it would be you, Aaron, it would be me. Who would be consumed in the debate of Midrash? And I get a real, the real McCoy. Now I see that Nadav Avil are even greater than you and I. Because we were all standing there together. Who got zapped? They got zapped. We did. So Ara Moshe Rabbeinu says to Ara Nakar, gee, not only, not only should, uh, don't you have to be unhappy that your children got killed, you should be overjoyed. You should be overjoyed. After all, the next generation far outstrips the last generation. That's the position. That's the position of uh, of Rashi. That's the position of Rashi. Maidoma Haron. No, a father hears this. I mean, it's, what's he going to say? You know, like you ever hear of a uh, of a, a nechama like that? You think of going to the house of of mourners and telling them something like this? You know, like. Uh, 
They say, they say, your children, they're all in God Aden, but you, where would you have been? Hovering in between heaven and earth, better off staying alive a little longer. By Maharon. Now she says, Kibel schar al shtikato. Umar schar kibel. So Rashi says, Aaron Cohen was rewarded for not saying anything. Meaning he accepted Moshe Rabbeinu's pshat. Right? He had two possibilities. He could have said this was terrible. And he could have said it's right, great. So he accepted Moshe Rabbeinu's pshat. What reward did he get? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu met up with Aaron HaKohen and said to him, instead of Ayyadavah Hashem al-Moshe, Ayyadavah Hashem al-Aaron, don't go to the Beit HaMikdash drunk. So you may think that that is like not such a big deal, like a great halacha to learn at this particular moment, but this is a piece of Torah that came to us through the agency of Aaron HaKohen. Why did Aaron HaKohen deserve this honor? By Yidom Aaron. Because even though Moshe Rabbeinu told him a difficult pshat, a pshat that's a little hard to understand, nevertheless, nevertheless, Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron Akoin, accepted the pshat, he accepted his fate, he overcame his emotional distress about, about his own children having messed up with the Beit HaMikdash and, and, and being killed, and he accepted the position, accepted the position of Moshe, of Moshe Rabbeinu. So that, that Rashi, Rashi kind of gives us both sides of the story. He says either they were bad guys and they were punished, or they were good guys. And not only were they not punished, but they, they uh, uh, demand our respect, veneration, and the fact that Aaron O'Connor was able to do that led to his being responsible or given the credit for a parish in the Torah. The next parish about Shtuye Yayin. All of this is, all of this is in Russia. Now, the Ramban, the Ramban has a whole different take on it, but I would like to, what I'd like to is just read the last three lines in the Ramban. Rinei Amar Moshe. You see three lines from the bottom of the Ramban? The first word on the line, Rinei Amar Moshe. Hamikraze. What? Who's he? Virashi? Ah. I don't know what what is human sacrifice. Human sacrifice is what people sacrifice other people. But what? For themselves, I mean, this was not the case, right? It was, it was, they did something wrong and they were punished. Or they did something right and they were granted immediate entree into Olam Haba. What's it, why does it got to do with the human sacrifice? Human sacrifice means, usually, I think, that I want to benefit from the fact that I sacrifice another human being. But here it wasn't that way. Here was a question of Sakhar Ba'onish. Either they were punished, or they were rewarded. Right? In either case, it's nothing to do with human sacrifice. But the Ramban says this. The Ramban doesn't like all these stories. You know that the Ramban sometimes was a Pashtan. And the Ramban says, The word Yehersu is the word that appeared first by by Matan Torah in Shemot Perek Yutet, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that B'nai Yisrael can come this far up to Har Sinai, but not any further. And and so the Ramban alludes to the fact that this idea of, of Gvulot, of Gvulot, is a necessary ingredient in Avodat Hashem in the Mishkan. You're either allowed to go in or you're not allowed to go in. You can't break that barrier. So that Nadav Avil broke that barrier. It wasn't that they brought an Eshzara. It wasn't so much that what they did was unacceptable. But they simply were not given permission at that time to bring the Torah. You know, Torah is a special sacrifice. 
and therefore he says the end of the pasuk you know again kavod ben mishkani and then bnei yisrael will learn to give kavod to honor the mishkan of hashem mishkan of hashem so so the, the ramban has a kind of much more elementary way of understanding what goes on. The Ramban goes through the chart of Rashi and then the Ibn Ezra, but at the end the Ramban himself comes to the conclusion that Yisra, that Nadava Aviyu did not respect the primary rule. And the primary rule is boundary. Up to here you can go, beyond that you cannot go. However, there are times, according to the, according, there are times, when you are allowed to go, when the boundaries change. For example, someone who is Tamei, someone who is unclean, is not allowed to go into the Mishkan. If he takes the trouble to purify himself, then he is allowed to. So the, the boundary is movable. It's not like it's always the same. There are different kinds of bound, boundaries, but the boundary is always there. And we will get back to that. I want to, to, to look at the Shemi Shmuel. There's a Shemi Shmuel. You see it's on the second page. The Shemi Shmuel. The Shemi Shmuel says this. Shemi Shmuel, you know, is the Avni uh, Nezer, the Sochachov. The Sochachov. The Shemi Shmuel is his son. And most of the things he wrote a parish on Chumash, most of it comes from the father. Most of it is... The father either couldn't write Hebrew very well or thought he couldn't write Hebrew very well or wanted his son to get involved in the family business. One of those is true. And so the son is the one who wrote everything. Right? And the father is generally the one who was the creative, very, very creative. The son was also creative, apparently. But the father was extremely creative, both in halachic matters and in Agadic manners, manners. He was the son-in-law of the um, uh, what? Of the Kotzka. Right. You know, which I, I guess couldn't have been an easy job. You know, <laughs> wasn't like you know you married the Kotzka's daughter and you are on easy street. Wasn't like that. You know. Listen to this, the Shemeshmu. So he doesn't say it, but he says, How could Rashi say that? How could it be? that these are simultaneously the greatest of men, and at the same time, they're doing these like penny-anti-averis, you know, little, little averis, like not listening to Moshe Rabbeinu, like going drunk into the Mishkan. How does this all square? He doesn't quote Rashi, because he doesn't want to answer Rashi. So he just quotes the second part of Rashi. And he says, how could it be that such great men, who Moshe Rabbeinu said, are the ones who are going to create kavod in the Mishkan. How did they do this? How did they echta ubase? You know, like there are certain kinds of mistakes that people can make. Like everybody has sometimes a lapse. But you know, like if you were really a probing psychologist or psychoanalyst, you would say, oh, the lapse is connected to this. But how could great men have such a lapse? I guess he's talking about the Kotzka. That, that Kavanat HaMikveh. Mikveh is a Mikveh. The Simcha, he kolelet hafachim. Now listen to this, for those of you who think you're good judges of character and the souls around you. He says Simcha. He says, how do you recognize Simcha? How do you raise joy? When does a person have joy? So he says, oh, it's very easy. Uh, that, that it includes opposites. It includes the opposites. What does that mean? Haraya. Shadam ba'it simchato 
הוא יכול לסבול אפילו שונאו ומתנגדו. So if you're, wearing, if you're making, Baruch uh, Hashem, you know, a wedding for one of your children, and some guy shows up who has been your, uh, annoying you for years, and unfriendly and unhappy, and he comes to the wedding, so all of a sudden you feel that, you know, you've got a big enough heart even to include that person. That's called kolel hafachim. It includes the opposite. That's, you know, everybody thinks in terms of the end. Like all of this work that we're putting in in Jewish history uh, may come to an end. And when I say it'll come to an end, I don't mean that the, that the universe will blow up. What I mean is that there'll be peace. Everything will be as it should be. That's the end. And even though they are not married, do not merit, and everybody knows that gu'ula comes in like two ways. One way is you push and you get Geula, which is usually the way we think about Medinat Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, you know, like the Jews pushed. So it's not perfect, but it's a little bit of it. Like you get a little bit of Geula. So that's called, that's called, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's the important thing. It says when the gulag comes, it's not because everybody's perfect. It's but because uh, because the, the, that's the way it is. There's an evolutionary process. I mean, I'm using a word that uh, people don't like to use, but you can use it in that way. There's an evolutionary process in the world from galut to gulag, and gulag means everything's okay. You don't get up in the morning and find out that there's like somebody building a bomb a thousand kilometers away from you with the expressed purpose of destroying your home. You won't have that anymore. It'll be like you get up in the morning, you go to work, you learn a little terror, you come home, and everybody's happy. That's what the gu'ula is about. Even though they don't deserve it. This was says in the Gemara and Sanhedrin. Everybody knows that gula will come when it comes. And the time that it comes is called bi'ita in the Gemara. When, it, when it's supposed to come. Ba'it anchona. She says, Haidu sha'az yismach Hashem b'ma'asav. And that's when HaKadosh Bochu in heaven will be overjoyed by his creations. Umachmata simcha gdola and because of this great joy that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has with the created world, everybody will come closer to God. So joy, that's what, that's what the Shem Yishmuel says, joy brings together extremes. And in the time of Geula, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is happy about those who serve him, and that joy accommodates even those who don't serve God. It brings them closer to God. Right? That when all the people who are far away from God see how sweet it is to be close to God, Everybody will throw away his golden and silver idols. So what was it that the Shemish world said? The Shemish world said that Geula is not the end of the road. That redemption and the period that's called Geula is not the end of the road. But what comes after Geula? Simcha. And simcha is what brings everybody together. Because the simcha is something that everybody can come close to. Other things, fear, 
Fear drives people away. They're not able to, to touch fear. But simcha, everyone wants to join. If you go to a wedding, you know, sometimes you go to these weddings, they have in, uh, they have every place, but in Yerushalayim, you know, sometimes I remember they go to a wedding, and there's a wedding on the first floor, the wedding on the second floor, the wedding on the third floor. You don't know where you're going. You just have an invitation. It doesn't say. It says, Moshe is getting married to Malka. It doesn't say what floor. So you go to another floor. You go to some floor. You look around. You don't see a single person that you know. So, so what difference does it make? I mean, it's a wedding, right? So you go in. It takes you a long time to figure out that you're in the wrong wedding. Because the simcha is just as good at the wrong wedding as it is at the right wedding. I mean, anyway, you go to a wedding, you don't know anybody. You know, if it's a big, if it's a big wedding, you spend half the time looking around for someone to talk to. So you go to a wedding, you go to a wedding, and that's what, you know, that's how it is. The simcha is infectious, even if you have nothing to do with it, and you don't know what it's about. It's hard to stay away from it. It's hard to stay away from it, and it not only, is, it's not like music in the street, which is you go to because it's a curiosity. But simcha is something that you don't want to let go of. You say, gee, if I, if I join these other group, the guys, I'll feel this way all the time. I'm doing it. I'm going over there. There's what comes to a band, you know, when they get tired of playing, there's no band anymore. All you have to go home. So now listen, having set, set us up to this, the Shevi Shmuel says as follows, Yesh Domar, Shizo Haita Kavanat Nadava Aviu, Alpi Mamaramzal. Since he quotes a Gemara in Megillah, which I have here, but I'm not going to open it up. Vayhi Bayom Hashmini. That's what the Pasuk says. Vayhi, the Gemara in Megillah says, Shoto Yom Haita Simcha Lifnea Kadish Bochu, Kiyom Shinivru Bo Shamayim Vaaretz. That on that day, there was such joy in heaven, the day of, of the Mishkan, right? The birthday of the Mishkan, by Yom HaShmini. The joy in heaven was the same as the joy as the, of the birth of, of the creation of heavens and earth. Chashvu So Nadava Avil. They thought, Shehigia Zman Hatikun Haklali. For those of you who are not brass lovers, I don't see anybody here. Those are not Brussels. Tikkun HaKlali is generally good. It's a good thing. Tikkun means to fix something. And Klali means to fix everything. Can you imagine? Fixing everything? That's all Brussels think about. It's fixing everything with one fell swoop. So he says, here's Nadava Aviyu, according to Shemi Shmuel, they were also Brussels. They thought that because they, they, they felt the joy in heaven at building the Mishkan, they said, that everything, now everything is going to be fixed. You see that word, Zarut? He says, what is Hazar HaKarev Yumat? The Pasuk in Bamidbar. If you come close to the Beit HaMikdash or the Mishkan, when you're not supposed to, death penalty. So, so Nadav Aviyu said, you know, that's not really the way it's supposed to be. That's just to keep us in line. Because we're not really able to handle Kedusha and Tahara and Simcha. But there's going to come a day. There's going to come the day of Geula, the day of Simcha. When all these barriers are going to fall away, and they won't exist, and then everybody will be able to go to the Beit Hamikdash whenever they wish. They will be able to bring any sacrifice they wish whenever they feel the lotiyeh ocham zarut. The word zar will not apply to anybody. Valkein as lo nitzach kodesh dafka. And so you wouldn't need to differentiate the sacred sacrifices from the secular sacrifices. You won't need an Eish Kodesh. But then the Gemara goes on and says, The Simcha was as great as the Simcha 
on the day of creation. But it wasn't perfect. What's the proof that it wasn't perfect? After all, Nadav Vaviu died on that day. Rim Cain. And therefore, Nadav Vaviu didn't expect to die. They thought that the world had changed. That Gula had come. That we were living in a redemptive, in a redemptive process. And Cain, they thought that the joy in heaven was complete, was perfect, was was unchangeable. But in fact, they learned to their distress that the simcha in heaven which existed was not perfect. He says, in heaven, in heaven, there's no difference between the past, the present, the future. Everything is known in heaven. In other words, when, when we look at heaven and we say, how are things in heaven? We, could, we always think, it's the best that it could be. But in heaven, they know that there still might be a future. And that's what we can't sense. We can't sense the future of things. So we see everything in heaven is being perfect. So if there was simcha in heaven, it must be perfect simcha in heaven. But in heaven they knew that there was even a greater simcha that is coming up. They could not possibly have known that the simcha was not yet complete or fulfilled. So that the Shem Shmuel ups the ante, I would say. He says, these guys, Nadav Aviyah, were not regular people. And it's true, they made a mistake, but it's not a mistake that anybody else could have possibly made. It was their mistake. It belonged to them entirely. They thought that the simcha that they perceived at the moment of the establishing of the Mishkan of the desert was the simcha of Gula, and therefore the Mechitzot, all the things that divide some Jews from other Jews, would have fallen down, and all the laws that distinguish may and may not may have, uh, may have been um, abrogated at that time. And therefore, purposely, they brought what was called an Eshara. It wasn't accidental. It was what they wanted to do and what they hoped would indicate to all the people in the world that they were living in the time not only of Gula, as the Ramban says, when they got to the Beit HaMikdash, to the Mishkan, that was Gula, but they were living in a time of Simcha. I would add to this only something that uh, I was thinking about at the Seder. I went to a Seder which was dominated entirely by two of my grandchildren. And they, they really didn't give me a chance to say anything. But they couldn't stop me from thinking about it. Every time I opened my mouth, they attacked. My wife is here, you could ask her. This is really a true, this is true, right? I felt like I was in the old age home. And someone was coming to tell me about them. Uh, here's the Haggadah, it's not page one, and go to page, you know, just, it was just terrible. But anyway, I was thinking. So he says, you know, people make a mistake. I said, the, the first question, the first question the child asks is about chametz and matzah. Halayla azekulo matzah. So people make a mistake, make the mistake, of thinking that the question has something to do with matzah. Right? But the question doesn't have anything to do with matzah. It has something to do with chametz. When we say halayla hazeh matzah, 
What do we mean? We mean, I know why I'm eating. I know why I'm eating matzah. But why am I not eating chametz? I mean, what's so bad about it? What does it not eating chametz have to do with anything? I see you're very enthusiastic about this question, which I guess is why my grandchildren didn't let me talk to her. <laughs> I, this is a, I think this is a very fair question. The child says, the child says, why are we eating, not, he does not say why are we eating, he knows why we're eating matzah. What he doesn't know is, why aren't we eating chametz? What does not eating chametz have to do with Yitziat Mitzray? Exactly. Matzah, I can squeeze in the matzah. Now before I answer that question, I want to remind you that HaKadosh Baruch told Abraham Avinu B'nai Yisrael, his children, his descendants would be in Mitzray for 400 years. And then they would go free. Now I don't know why they were supposed to be in Mitzray for 400 years. But we will assume, as a working hypothesis, or as the hypothesis before the working hypothesis, that there was something that had to be. That B'nai Israel had to be slaves in Mishraim for 400 years in order to be able to assume their role, whatever their role is. It would not be enough just to be the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were great religious personalities, as described to us in the Chumash. But they went around talking to God. At will, right? Whenever, I mean, we can't assume that only the times that the Torah tells us about were the times that HaKadosh Baruch Hu spoke to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yagob. But they were great religious personalities who spoke to God. They were prophets, they were leaders, they were, they were, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, whatever, whatever word you want to attach, right? That's the avot. So being the children and the progeny of these people, remembering the stories of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, that's not enough. You have to also be enslaved for 400 years. Okay, whether they were enslaved for 400 years or less than 400 years, maybe only 210 years, again, is not our concern right now. But I remind you of this, that in the Chumash, the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim is told in Perak Yud Bet and Perak Yud Gimel. Peregud Bet, Peregud Gimel, and the Parish of Bo. In, uh, in Peregud Bet, in Peregud Bet, there is the story of what we call today the Korban Pesach. Remember the Korban Pesach? They took this sheep, and they sacrificed, they took the blood and put it on the Buzuzot, then they roasted it, and they ate it. That's, that was the first Korban Pesach. The first Korban. Now that Korban Pesach, what day do they slaughter it and then put the blood on the mezuzot? On Yud Dalid, on Yud Dalid. When do they eat it? On the night of Tetvav. Now, what does the Pasuk say? What does the Pasuk say? Akhodesh Baruch said to B'nai Yisrael, Akhodesh Baruch said to B'nai Yisrael, Barishon Barba Asal Chodesh Ba'erev. One second. No. Um, yeah. So they so that means that when you eat the Pesach, that's Tzli Esh. You eat it with Matzot and Merorim. That's what the Kodesh Baruch said to B'nai Yisrael. Now those Matzot that they were supposed to eat, those Matzot that they were supposed to eat with Korban Pesach, where'd they get them from? You never thought of that. Huh? They got them from Pathmark. They went to Pathmark and they bought matzahs. 
Or maybe they baked them in the backyard. Hasidim made round ones. And Lidvox made square ones. But where did they get the matzahs from? There are no instructions in the Torah about where to get the matzahs. They got them in Padmore. Or wherever. Wherever. Good Hefshah. With a good Hefshah. And they ate the Pesach with matzah and moro. When? On the night before they actually ran out of the shrine. What happened that night? What happened that night was Makat Bechorot. Right? Makat Bechorot. The firstborn, the firstborn were killed. The firstborn were killed of Mitzrayim. The Jews were spared, as you know. What? Not because we're eating matzahs. Because that's the way it had to be. Then the Torah says, you should make this day a remembrance day. And then it says, Shivat Yamim Matzot Tocheilu. Shivat Yamim Matzot Tocheilu. Ach, Biyom Rishon, Tashbitu Seomi Batechem. Kikol Ochel Chametz. So what are we talking about? What is this? What is this? This is Pesach Lidorot, which is based on Pesach Mitzrayim. And what was Pesach Mitzrayim? You have a Korban Pesach, you have a Matzah, you have Moro. Then the Torah says, not just one day, but eat the Matzah all seven days. What Matzah are they eating all seven days? The matzah that they bought in Pathmark. Right, that matzah, the round matzah, the square matzah, the matzah they bought, that's the matzah they're supposed to eat down for seven days. Why seven days? Basically. That's not we're, not, we're not able yet to answer that question, but that's what Terry says, eat matzah for seven days. That's why the Vilnagon said, and others, not only the Vilnagon, but it's all, everybody says it all in the name of Vilnagon, that whenever you eat matzah during Pesach, you're being mekayin the mitzvah of achilas matzah. You understand? On the first night of Pesach, when the Seder, there's an obligation to eat, a, eat matzah. On the other days, there's no obligation. But according to this pasuk, this pasuk we just read, seven days to matzot, every time a person eats matzah during Pesach, he is fulfilling a Torah obligation. It's not mandatory. But you get credit for it. That's what the Gaon said. That's what Gaon said. It makes sense. It makes sense to not say that. You have to, you have to dray uh, around a little bit. Okay? Now, Pasuk. <laughs> then it says, Pasuk Yudalit Yudzayim. So, Shmartim Edamit Matzot. Shmartim Matzot. These have got to be special matzot. What are the special matzot? Matzot that don't become chametz. That's the way we understand it. Seven days. Etc. Okay? So there's an Isser to eat chametz. Where does the Isser eat chametz come up? In the way the Torah describes the ongoing Kiyum of Pesach. It has nothing to do with Yitziat Mitzrayim. It has to do with Pesach. Pesach and Yitziat Mitzrayim are not the same thing. And then, uh, just one second, just one second. The Pesach says, "Vayisu b'nei Yisrael ramseit sukkot etzetrim v'kamei ravolaitam peret yudbet pasuk lametet vayofu etabatzek asher otziyum imitzray vayofu etabatzek." What is batzek? What is batzek? Batzek is a dough, right? That dough. Now, what were they going to do with this dough? What day are we talking about? We're talking about the day of Tetvav. What happened last night? 
What happened last night? Korban Pesach, Matzah, Morah. Right? That night. Now they're going on a big trip the next morning. So they pack. Right? Everybody's got a little knapsack. And everybody's putting stuff in the knapsack and they have batzeik. What do they want to do with the batzeik? What do they want to do with the matzah? Make bread. They want to make bread. What, are they crazy? They just had matzah. Tanuk. They want to bake bread. But the pasuk says, and there's nothing wrong. Because everything we learned up to now about Pesach is from Pesach year two. Not Pesach number one. But what happened? So it means that there are two matzot that sit on the on the table on the night of the Seder. One matzah is called lechem oni. It's the, the, the food you don't want to eat. It's the only bread. It's the bread that people who haven't got time bake for themselves. And that's the bread that B'nai Israel ate when they left Mitzrayim because circumstances forced them to eat matzah. But there's another matzah that we eat on the night of the Seder. And that's the mitzvah of matzah. We make a bracha. We make the birkat ha-mitzvah. It would be unreasonable for us to only say hamotzi lechem min ha-aretz. Because hamotzi lechem min ha-aretz is what we say whenever we eat bread. But on the night of Pesach, we're not eating matzah. Because it's bread in another form. Which is what B'nai Yisrael ate when they left the tribe. But we're eating a matzah because... Because there's a mitzvah to eat a matzah. And that mitzvah to, give, to eat the matzah was given to B'nai Israel before they left Mitzrayim. That mitzvah and the prohibition against hametz. So, you see, that I asked, what was it that B'nai Yisrael were preparing themselves for? What was it that they had to be before they could participate in Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Well, there had to be a people who could accept upon themselves a mitzvah and a prohibition. That was the world into which B'nai Yisrael was born as a nation. They were the people who were able to say, this is what God wants of me, and this is what God wants me to refrain from. And that was a Kiddush. That was something new. Because up to then, people were able to say, this is what God wants. But they weren't able so easily to say, this is what God wants me to refrain from doing. So HaKadosh Baruch said to them, you people of Israel, I want you to remember this. This is forever, not Pesach Mitzrayim. But because of Pesach Mitzrayim, you're going to eat matzah, and you're going to refrain from eating chametz. And so everybody knew that Am Yisrael was the nation that could accept upon itself a mitzvah and accept upon itself a prohibition. That's who we were. That's what we were defined as. But we also had a dream. And the dream was that eventually, eventually the prohibitions would disappear. Because the prohibitions created distinctions that must be ultimately irrelevant in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch. The Kabbalists took this very far, and they said that there really are no real distinctions, like, like relationships or sexual distinctions, etc., because when the world was created, there was just Adam and Chava. And Adam and Chava, there were no restrictions of any kind, even though they were, they were not only related to each other, they were the same. Right, Chava came from Adam, so, I mean, but it didn't matter. That's, there's a certain kind of vision of the world. So, Nadav Avihu, Nadav Avihu said, it's come. It's come, it's true that we are the nation that can accept prohibitions, but we're also the people that can recognize the Geula, right, the redemption that will take place ultimately, and what 
What helps us to recognize that Geula, according to the Shemish Muel, what helps us is Simcha, is this feeling of Simcha. What they didn't know was, what they didn't realize was that Simcha itself is a variable thing. And even though you may think at the moment that you're witnessing the greatest joy uh, imaginable, there may be still a greater joy that awaits you around some corner. And therefore, you should not take advantage of it. So that Nadava Aviv, according to the Shemish were great men, were sacred people, who understood what the issues were all the time. But they made a mistake. Philosophically, they made a mistake. That they were able to evaluate the simcha of the moment and confused it with some other notion of ultimate simcha. Have a good Shabbos.